Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Before we get into this episode of Small Doses, want you to know that Smart, Funny, and Black in the Crib is back. We are going to be doing this thing every third Thursday of the month. And this month, we are starting with Grace and Trey Byers, the couple that we came to love from Empire. Well, they are coming to see who's going to be a master Black expert on Smart, Funny, and Black in the Crib. For those of y'all who don't know, Smart, Funny, and Black in the Crib is when we take the Smart, Funny, and Black show that y'all have come to see in cities all over the nation into these internets so that everyone can experience the dopeness live. It is Thursday night, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern time. All the jokes, all the games, and of course, all the smart, funny blackness you have come to inspect from me. So make sure you check it out. We will see you there on YouTube at Smart, Funny, and Black. So funky. Today on Small Doses, I am joined by an old friend. And I, I know y'all love when I have these episodes where I have people on the show that like I have history with because there's always a different level to the kiki. You know, it's it's just a different level. And today on this art, because we've been doing a, a series with our, an artist series for quite some time now, and I'm very happy today to have Lonnie J on the show. And let me take people back real quick. Let me just take you back. <laughs> the first time I met Lonnie, no, the first time I experienced, I witnessed the effervescent light and also lightning that is Lonnie J. Johnson. Um, (laughs) I was in a house party at Purchase College. Mm -hmm. I want to say we were in G34 um, in the new. And we were. I want to say the DJ was DJ Self of Love and Hip Hop fame. And I had just gotten to purchase. I think you were already there a year. You were Mm -hmm. a year ahead of me. And they played Mob Deep Quiet Storm. Now, in Orlando, when I would go to the Palladium, which was a club (laughs) in a strip mall (laughs) next to a dinner theater and a movie theater, when I would go to the Palladium, that was the song that they would play to clear the club. Wow. They would literally play Quiet Storm like, all right, you ain't got to go home, but you can't stay here. So when they played this, like, at the beginning of the party, like, this was the turn-up song, I was so confused. And I was, like, looking around, like, oh, why are they playing this? And then it happened. And I (laughs) I saw Lonnie just cutting the motherfucking rug. That was my tune. I was like, but in my mind, it was like, how is she dancing like that to this? Like, I didn't even know that this could inspire that right. kind of movement. And right. ever since then, you have always just inspired me to be like, what the fuck is Lonnie doing? And because, <laughs> because you're the flyest. And that yes, continues. That continues with your art. And it continues as an extension of me because what has brought us to back together on this podcast is that a homeboy of mine was randomly... Actually, you tell. You take over. Tell yes. that story. So in November... So the show opened actually in September and I had what an show artist. Was this? What show was this? What show was this? Remnants. It was an exhibition installation that I had the opportunity to do at Locust Projects here in Miami. And they have what they call the mobile studio where they invite local artists to kind of come in and transform the space. Cool. So I was in the middle of installing and the show had opened up and Apparently, your homeboy had just been walking by and was just like, what is this? Because I had, you know, I incorporate altar making into my work. So he said that he saw the altar Mm. and he was just like, what? How? I need to come inside. (laughs) And he just so happened to come inside and he saw the exhibition and I wasn't there that day. He ended up coming back the following day. And I happened to be there that day because he was, um, he has a liquor brand that he's shopping around and Locust 
is, you know, they find sponsors all the time for right. the events. So he ended up coming back the following day and I was there and he was just like, yo, like this installation is crazy. This, that, and the third. And I was just like, oh, thank you. He gave me some of his uh, uh, libations. So it was like, <laughs> <laughs> it was delicious. And I don't know how we just got to talking. Oh, he asked me where I went to school. And I said, I got my BFA at SUNY Purchase. And he was like, oh, yeah, one of my homegirls went to SUNY Purchase. He was like, you know, Amanda Seals. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's my people. Yeah. So, you know, and then that so same, good. the same week was when you, you were on live, on the <gasps> ramp. Yeah. And I just happened to just hop onto the gram and I saw that you were on live and I was like, well, what this chick talk about? Let me, let me, let me click on to what this lady got going on. Cause you know, you always talking about something you crack me up. So I was like, I need a good Kiki. Let me see what she talking about. And literally y'all, she was in the middle of sharing a story about how I had put her on to game to some shady shit. <laughs> chills right now like i can't re- i've never recovered from that y'all i literally was on you know ever so often on instagram i do niggas got me fucked up fridays right and people will come on and testify about like who's got them fucked up and i was like telling a story of how like some shady shit had went down to school and i was like and then lonnie shout out to lonnie J. she an artist da, 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 da. and i look at the comments lonnie's like i'm right here <laughs> like, i just I, I love I love these types of moments though because I take them as kismet, as bigger than us, yeah. as serendipity, yeah. as alignment, right? And as yep. like indicators that okay, you're on the right path. You're on yep. the right path. Where we're we supposed you. to be. Yep. But these days, these days I be feeling like I need those indicators more and more and more yep. because there's so much chaos going on around us. Those moments, Amanda, like it just it just affirms to us that we are on the right track. We move in the way we need to move and it's just, just keep, keep going for real. Like that, when I got off of the live with you, like I immediately called another sister friend and I was just like, yo, like you can't explain these types of things. Like you, you can't, you can't, you can't. They are otherworldly. Yep. Which is why we are aliens. Cause we are mm-hmm. otherworldly. Yeah. Like, and y'all need to know me and Lonnie cannot see each other for 10 years and it's yeah. like what are you and that's love you yeah. know and that's yeah. love and i feel like you have always been such a f- like to me there are people who do art and then there are artists mm. and lani you have always been somebody who like exudes mm-hmm. artistry in every facet of your life and so i wanted to talk to you about like your journey to mm considering art as like your prime directive. I think there's so many folks that they Mm. may want to create or they enjoy creating, but there's a fear around centering it or even trusting it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because of a myriad of reasons. Sometimes it's like you don't have a good support system. Sometimes it's maybe like you just doubt yourself, et cetera. So I would love to hear, you know, from you, like where you grew up, how art played a role. Did you have support in the process, et cetera, et cetera? It's been a it's been a journey. Like, uh, were you an artistic kid? Oh yeah, my mom is an artist, but didn't have the opportunity to practice because she came along in a time where black parents was like, artists, like, no, you need to get a real job. Like, how are you going to sustain yourself? You can't be out here broke. Like, that's not going to work. So even though she got accepted to all these major art schools, oh, wow. and you know, yeah, man, she. She kept the letter. She got accepted full rides to FIT, Parsons, and Pratt. And her parents, my grandparents, were just like... And I also think that it was this idea that our daughter going away to a place like New York Mm. and never being there and never kind of leaving home in that way kind of scared them too. What was home for them? Miami. Okay. My mom was a, a military brat, so they traveled all over, but she was born here in Miami. And then they brought their home in 1965 here in Miami. And they have been here ever since. Got it. Um, 
But yeah, I think that it was just so many layers of why they weren't allowing her to have that space. But I say all that to say that she always made the space for me to be a creative. I was always drawing on something and coloring on something and just, it was my way to speak when I couldn't speak for myself this way. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. And with my words. So I just knew that it was something that I needed to do. Did I understand the magnitude of what it would be for me? No, like I didn't, that, that came later. I knew it was something that was special, but to know that it could exist and be a tool to educate, to acknowledge, to inform, like I didn't know that this is what my purpose was with my art. I did know that it was more than just it being on the wall or being in a gallery or being a part of a museum collection. Like I knew that it was more than that. Um, Yeah. What's the difference for you between like the stuff that's just like for looking at and what you feel like your work is for? Yeah. I mean, you know, I feel like at this point I'm more of a social practice artist and with social practice, it's more about what your work can do to activate some sort of action. Right. So it's not just about the work going on the wall and it just having a moment for a viewer. But how does that work now go onto the wall and activate someone to act on change or to create a dialogue or to have someone think about things differently and, again, acknowledge and activate something else within themselves? Right. So Mm -hmm. I think that that's the difference for me and me being adamant about if I am presenting my work, how am I now engaging and making sure that community is has access to this work, right? Because it being on the wall at certain spaces, not all of us have access to those spaces. So my work, I feel like I'm adamant about creating an access to the work as well. Because if I'm doing all this Black-ass art, then I need Black-ass people to have access to see the work. Yeah? I mean, you're testifying. Mm-hmm. Because... It's the struggle of also just creating art in a place of commerce, right? Because it's like, all right, if this is my career, I have Mm -hmm. to eat off of this. Mm -hmm. But it's also like, I got to eat off of this a certain way. Right. You know, like I with Smart, Funny and Black, we are getting into bigger venues and that's great. But I'm like, yeah, but people still need to afford these tickets. Right. And it doesn't, I had a manager who shaded me, uh, who really did some shisty shit for me, to me. Mm. And I had said to him, like, the majority of the tickets cannot be over $35. People need to be able to get the tickets. And he, um, unbeknownst to me, made a deal with the promoters to where the ticket base price was $35, but the, what's the word I'm looking for? The, <laughs> not the fines, but like when you order something like the, the not the taxes, but like the ex, the processing fees, et cetera, Service et cetera. fee, process yes. fee, all of that. Those were also like 25 and $35. So, so it ended up being like a $75 ticket. Wow. Yes. And we're doing shows in Detroit, in Kansas City, in Baltimore, in St. Louis, in markets where it's like, we need to get to the people. Right. But you're creating a ticket price that makes it to where only certain people are getting access to this. And that's not even necessarily the people we need to get to the most. Correct. So we have a rule now where VIP cannot be solely just based on price. Mm. So we might have like 30 VIP seats. At least 15 of them need to be allotted for people for $35 tickets. That's right. Money shouldn't be the only reason why you get to see the show from a better vantage point. No. Art has to be accessible. <laughs> like, yes. What are we doing if, if people can't access it? Especially when you're dealing with Black folks. Bingo. Especially when you're dealing with people of color. Like, it's already, like, especially with visual arts, right? I mean, right now, because of the racial reckoning that's happening. You know, we're, in just, <laughs> we're in spaces that we're normally not in these days. <laughs> we're snapping. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there, there's already this idea that visual art is only accessible to some. You know, the museum was developed as a way to display the elite. So it's already rooted in that. So okay. how do we confront and dismantle this idea that it's only for some 
especially when it's work that looks like us. Like we need to see the work. Like I, I need for with this past exhibition remnants, like it was my duty to make sure that black girls, black women felt seen and had access to see this work and to be in that space. Like I was adamant about that. So not only did I have the reflection of these folks on the wall, but I was opening up the space for people to just come and gather. I was opening up the space for folks to come and just sit and have meetings. I was opening up the space where sometimes I would just show up and just have people come and we just sitting there being our black ass self in the space. Like, that's right. what I really needed. Like, and to have so many people come to that exhibition and be like, I've never been here. Or I've passed by this place a million and one times, but I never knew it was here. Like that, and to have that kind of work in the design district, which is like pretty much like the garment district in New York, or kind of becoming like the new Rodeo Drive here in Miami. Oh. You know, so to have this kind of work and have folks be in that space in that setting was remarkable for me. Like I this is it's why this is why I do it. I do it that because I need, we got to carve out space for ourselves. Like if it's not given to us, then we need to take it. We got to carve, we got to make it. And if I can do that with my art, then I'm, I'm winning. Has it always been that way for you? Yeah. Like since high school? It's funny because I didn't realize it then. I didn't realize it then because, you know, in art school, Amanda, like we're told in my time, we're told that we're on, it's only one way to exist as an artist. Okay. You get the, the gallery representation. It's just like in theater. Like, it, it's you're working to go on Broadway. Yep. You know what I mean? They don't give us all of the possibilities of what this art thing can be. You know? Mm. Like, I, well, first of all, I was like, okay, if I'm supposed to be in a gallery or in museums, I don't see too many people that look like me in these spaces anyway. So that must be out. So right. I guess they ain't talking to me anyway. So I kind of threw that out of my mind. Anyhow. Really? Okay. But I I just, even through then, like through the community work that I was doing at the time, using art as a way to give voices to other young people, doing peer education work, using the art, like I knew that it was something else to what I was supposed to be doing with this. I didn't realize the, again, the magnitude or, or the power that it had because I was doing it, doing it since then. But even with that, you still went to purchase yeah. For art. Because I knew I needed to get the fuck out of Miami. What made you say that? What made you feel like you needed to get the fuck out of Miami? I wanted to get to New York. You know, again, our school teaches us that New York is the place to flourish. Oh, really? Artists. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't realize they were, like, pushing that narrative in oh, art school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> our school, New York is the, the mecca of the arts. If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. You they know, do it's, say it's, that. They do say yeah, that. Yes. It's, it's, you know, the place. Like, you got to think about it. Like, most of the well-known galleries are there. Most of the well-known art schools are there. And the Miami art scene, it was there was none here at the time. So I, I was just like, I need to get out of here. But something brought me back home. Like, this is my home. Like, And the beauty about the art scene here is that because it's so young, we have the power to kind of make it what we want it to be. All of the things that frustrate me about Miami and the Miami art scene I'm able to kind of combat it with the work that I do. I don't think I would be able to do that in New York or Chicago because I feel like the art world is, that machine is built, it's been running. And yeah, I don't think I would be able to move the way that I move here in New York. I mean, I'm out here and this machine has been built yeah. And has been running. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it has taken some time for me to commit to like, all right, I'm going to stay in it and mm -hmm. carve my own way, mm -hmm. even though this thing is bigger than me and has been going longer than me, et cetera, et cetera. Because it's daunting. It's a very daunting yes. feat, you know, and there's not a lot of folks who are necessarily like sharing the same efforts. So I can completely understand that. Right. Like, cause most people, you know, as artists, like we just think different and most people are not artists. So they just, no. they can't really. It's a lot understand. of poses. <laughs> well, that's why I said there's people who make art and then there's artists. And 
you know, and I know many, I know artists who don't necessarily make art, but they live Mm-hmm. their life in a mind state of we can make something from nothing, which to That's me right. is really like the core of an artist. Like there's no, no, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, okay, let me just shift and morph this. And I love yep. the way that you've been talking about how you shifted and morphed, you know, this trajectory of what to do with art into something that makes sense for you out of this like very limited scope. And I've never been to art school, so I'm, I'm fascinated to hear that like there was such a very finite trajectory that they were suggesting because it wasn't it's about like community the, it's like building. The NBA. <laughs> like, it wasn't about community get in building, you know, community engagement. It wasn't about that. None of that. It was like you're either gonna be a, a gallery, gallery artist, right? An art historian, and even the, the conversation about curatorial studies was like kind of like not really pushed. I mean, at least at purchase, like it was it was really about like make work and how do you make the work stand out in the world, period. There was no other possibilities. There's so many ways. I tell young people that I work with all the time, like there's not just one way to do this art shit. Tell us some of the ways. Tell us some of the ways. I mean, you can be teacher. You can be an activist. You can be a curator. You could be an art historian. You could be an archivist. Like there's so many different layers. Apparel. Of, uh, hello. Listen, let's talk about the installers. Let me tell you something. People that install shows, that install works, they underrated. Like people yeah. don't give them their propers. Like I learned the hard way when I was calling myself trying to install shows <laughs> to make a little extra money. No. Art handlers and installers, those are like the MVPs of the game. Because if you don't have them, then what show you got? So it should be programs that are focusing solely on how to do that, because that's a special art. Right. Knowing even where to put a piece. Correct. Like, oh, eye level versus, you know, there's a Around this corner, on this wall, this light. Yes. Yes. That is a whole art form within itself. And I think that that takes artistry. Like those, yeah. and most of the installers that I know, they are artists also. They, they make their own work, but they find a way to eat off of installing because they make good money. Because people are, you know, you want your show to, to be put up right. So you're going to invest the money to make sure that the, that the folks that are doing it are handling it right. So I say all that to say like that there's so many ways that we can exist as artists. And I, and I really hope that we're starting to broaden our scope on what it means to be a visual artist because it's it's, it can be damaging to just be like oh this is it if you don't do it this way then fuck it you ain't you you can't do it like I spent a lot of time having to like there was this woman she mentioned like artistic injury or creative injury and how we sometimes as artists in these institutions experience creative and artistic injury to our spirit and our mind they can be very damaging to yes us these art institutions they really can especially to black women i was the only damn <laughs> it was me and two other black women that was in that entire art school and i find it so crazy what yes yes siobhan she was a, a ceramicist and ayana and myself and this in is the at entire purchase? art school at purchase. What? I did not know that. Damn. Okay. So a school that was so diverse, because that's one yeah. of the things that I loved about purchase is that it was so diverse. But the art school itself, not so much. And that tends to be the pattern. Right. That there's not that many black women in these institutions. I mean, shit, I was the only black woman in my freshman class at the acting conservatory. Mm-hmm. Now that you say mm-hmm. that, I'm like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. You was, yeah. There's something wrong with that. Whoa. There's something wrong with that. And then forget about it. Faculty, I've never had a black woman arts teacher ever in my entire artistic career, ever. So that's why when I began to teach, it was so important for me to show up for these young people because I never had that. So being the only black woman on the staff, Amanda, at New World, when I went back to teach there, mm-hmm. there was not one before me. And there's just recently started to be one after me, maybe two years ago. That doesn't surprise me. We just had Bisa Butler mm-hmm. on the podcast. 
And she was just talking about how, you know, it really like was a push and pull for her to leave teaching mm-hmm. because she was like, they got so much from me that they weren't yes. going to get from another person, particularly not a black woman in this space. Correct. You can't live off an adjunct salary. That's why I had to leave because I was an adjunct. So mm-hmm. I wasn't even getting full-time pay and they they refused to give me the full-time position. So I was just like, you know what? Gotta go. Why'd they refuse? Child. <laughs> hmm. Why you think? I, honestly, I feel like there's so <laughs> many reasons that they come up with. I'm curious which so one they So close pose. your eyes. If you close your eyes and just spit out the first one, it probably is the right one. Your art isn't refined enough. Your art isn't... Because at um, that time... There we go. At that time, I wasn't out here in these art streets enough. You're not known enough. You're Mm -hmm. not in the mix enough. You're not... Mm -hmm. Oh, established. That's the word. You're not established enough. Now, mind you, there were so many full-time faculty that ain't had an exhibition in since 19... Whomever the fuck. (laughs) Right. Since Different World had new episodes. Correct. Do you feel like that was a push on a different path, though? Yeah. Like, even though as frustrating and annoying as that is, do you feel like it pushed you in the right direction? Oh, yeah. Because after I left there, it was all up (laughs) from there. Tell me about the up. You left there. What happens? How does the ascend start happening? So I left there because I got offered... See, and a lot of my life is like full circle, a lot of it. So like I was saying earlier, when I was in high school, I was a part of this like improv troupe that we use the arts as a way to kind of, it was like a peer education group. Rodney okay. Gardner was a part of this group as well. Him, <laughs> okay. him and Terrell Alvin McCraney. Whatever happened to Gary? Gary apparently is still in New York doing yeah. his thing. Okay, yeah. good. Okay. Yeah, he's still that was there. That a side note. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. what happened to Gary? Yeah, he's still there. So, you know, we were creating these performance pieces and then going throughout the community, presenting them with education on HIV, substance abuse, mental health. So we were doing that work through the state and we were working for a drug rehabilitation center at that time. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to... 2012, I get a call from the coordinator of that program. They started it up again. So they offered me to be the coordinator for the rebooting of this peer education arts program. And it was a full-time gig. And I had just found out that I was preggers with my second child, the little person that keeps running in and out of the room. (laughs) So I think that it came right on time because I was having to make some real hard decisions because I was just like, like Bisa said, like giving so much to these young people at that school and just still dealing with systemic racism within the institution and trying to like block them from it and put them onto game about it, but still being attacked by it and affected by it. Right. So, I mean, I ain't do no better. I, I went into nonprofit work, which is, we can have a whole podcast on just how that system needs to be fucking blew up and started over again. But that's I mean, I just saw a whole article today about how the folks would come together out of Ferguson with DeRay McKesson and Brittany Pagnett Cunningham and um, Janetta LZ. Like they ended up splitting apart because Mm -hmm. of the corruption within this nonprofit space. Mm -hmm. And they're poverty pimps, poverty pimps. Most nonprofits, poverty, poverty pimps. pimps. Can you tell me what a poverty pimp is? Poverty pimps are these people that apply for these federal funds and claim that they are helping underserved communities and that they are funneling the money back into the community when in actuality, they're just using the buzzwords and just using the fact of underserved communities on paper, but couldn't care less and figuring out how to pocket the money. I mean, some might say that this Kristen Sinema chick, who was, you know, this senator from Arizona, she was all into the nonprofit world, Mm -hmm. and people just thought Mm -hmm. she was going to be such a groundbreaking politician, and then she comes in, and she's the most capitalist of all capitalists. Correct. (laughs) It's like, oh. And I think, to your point, 
a lot of folks like, but how? And it's mm-hmm. like, well, actually, that's a seamless, like, yeah. that's a natural trajectory. Correct. And, you know, you got to understand that, especially here in Miami, there have been the same folks that have been applying for the same grants and funding sources for eons. Mm-hmm. So they have mastered how to do this nonprofit on paper, but in actuality, it's for profit. You understand? So the budgeting. So I might say that I'm going to put a dollar here, but I'm going to make sure a dollar goes back Over to me somehow. <laughs> right. Yes. You know what I'm saying? So they got it down to a science. So I say all that to say that I, I coordinate this program, which is amazing. And I get to work with some amazing young people throughout the county, but it's emotionally taxing because it's a lot of frustration where, you know, you have these budgets that are, you know, a half a million dollars or a little more than that. And you trying to tell me that you don't have money for snacks for the young people. How does that work? Right. Or we don't have money for our supplies, but it's for, in our For our <laughs> program so what keeps you in the midst of all that frustration because listen i know there's people who like thrive off of being struggling artists i've never been that person Mm -mm. I'm, i'm like no struggling does not make me want to make art so what keeps you still creative still innovative still inspired even when these frustrating exchanges are happening. I just had this conversation earlier today. I know that this job is my nine to five, right? Okay. I know every two weeks that that money is in my account. Right. And it provides time and the freedom for me to move throughout the community and continue to do the work outside of that place. You know, like the fact that I've, made so many connections in the community through this job. I've met some amazing young people, right? So it provides a a sense of freedom for me to continue to do my other work as well. I'm really happy that I have gotten to a place in my career that all of the jobs, even though it's like 5011 jobs that I do, (laughs) are all able to come back and fuel into my creative practice. Right. Somehow, some way. And that's why I'm I'm slowly starting to realize that I am a social practice artist because social practice artists, it's more than just the product. It's about the process and the community building that comes along with the work that you do. Like, what else is your work doing in our community? Like, how is it inspiring folks to move? If you see me in an interview and you hear me say, you know... I'm really a social practice comedian. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You kind of, yeah, you are. Know that that has come directly from you. Yeah. Because that's. That's it. Yep. Yep. And I've never had the language Mm -hmm. like that. That's a very, that's an economy of words. I've never had Mm -hmm. the language to really clarify Mm -hmm. because like, you know, I'll create things sometimes and it'll be like, yeah, this might be fun. But like, what's the point? Right. What is it? Right. What does it do? And I always tell folks like, you know, my, my work has to serve me creatively and serve the people. That's and, right. And it's like, that's really what that is. So thank you for that language. And I know there's yeah. a lot of people shaking their head right now. Like, oh, that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. And I have to think, I can't take full credit for that because I have to thank artists like Theaster Gates, Simone Lee. Like these are artists that I look up to hella hella a lot because they are doing this social practice they began this conversation about visual art as a social practice right you gotta be thinking about how your work makes people move and take some sort of action right and giving people the permission to do so man you would have asked me this at purchase and i i i I damn sure would have told you that this is what i would be doing (laughs) What did you envision at purchase? Did you have a vision of what you thought you'd be doing? No. Mm -mm. (laughs) No. I knew that I wanted to just make, but I still didn't know. Right. I 
I think that it what it was, Amanda, was I also needed to, I didn't fully know myself. Of course. Then. And I didn't have a full vision of who I was then either. It didn't start making sense until, you know, when you had these children. <laughs> Listen, I, I was going to say, like, I mean, and, you know, we were there when you were pregnant and going mm-hmm. through that in school and mm-hmm. delivering and the decision of how are we raising this? How, what's the plan? What's the process? Yep. I was there. I mean, you was there, homie. <laughs> You was there. And I just, yeah. I mean, I feel like coming back to Miami probably helped a lot with the settling of like. Well, I came back to Miami on some other shit because my grandmother, who was like a second mother to me, she was my mother's mother and she abruptly got sick. And it's crazy because I had just started working at the Jacob Reese Community Center in Queensbridge Projects. Okay. okay. Teaching art. At the the community center. Yep. Like running up on seeing Mob Deep. (laughs) I kid you not. That full circle. I kid you not. Kid you not. They was chilling. See, see what I'm talking about? Full circle. (laughs) So I had just started working there. So I was at battle with myself. I was like, do I go back home? I just started working here. Right. You know, but I'm glad I did. I'm here for these kids. How do I pull? Right. Yep. But I had to. The universe is like, nah, you you got to go back home. And I'm glad I did because that, that week that I came back is when she passed away. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And so and then, you know, me and baby daddy, number one, we split shortly after that. So then I was like, OK, do I what that mean now? Who I still do I don't go like, back to New by York? the way, for the record, <laughs> I still don't like We name. good now. That's fine. You good now. Y'all are good. I have, my, I have my own beef. I have my own beef. Glad y'all, glad y'all worked it out. Yeah, man. It was ugly. You know, so now it was like, okay, I just lost like one of the most important people in my life. And then also now becoming a single mother. Like, do I go back to New York to be a single mother and struggle? Or do I stay my ass here in Miami? Mm-hmm. And that was in 2005, and I decided to stay. And I've been here, back here ever since. But, you know, I just think, ain't no coincidence. It's like things happen the way that they need to happen. And um, I don't know. I think it was meant for me to come back home and, and to do this work home. Well, tell me about Remnants, your latest. Mm-hmm. Um, is that is that the latest installation that yeah. you've done, Remnants? Yeah. Tell me about Remnants. Tell me about what the inspiration behind it was and how it exists in the space of social. Damn, did I just forget what did we what did we say it was called? Social, social practice. So mm-hmm. how does it how does it exist? How does it exist in the space of social practice for you? So I really was and I love adamant. Artists describe their work about creating a not only a metaphysical but a physical space where Black women, Black girls felt seen, they felt heard. When they entered this space, they saw themselves, but also in that space, they're given permission to heal and just be in spite of what society tries to tell us, in spite of how society tries to deem us invisible, how it tries to silence us. I really wanted to just make this space just that. So being very intentional with the materials that I was using in the assemblage pieces that were on the wall, whether it was Kyrie shells, uh, bamboo earrings, hair beads, all of this stuff that are signifiers to Black girls, to have Black women come to the exhibition and stand in that space and just be like, uh, be like, yes. <laughs> I had a colleague of mine stand in that mirror because the two big pieces had mirrors. And I was intentional about the mirrors being there because I wanted the viewer to see themselves seeing these women. Right. But also see themselves. You know, look at you. You are a part of this work. You are this work. You belong here. Down to the wall, the walls were painted pink 
And it has significance because in my grandmother's home, my mother's mom, there was a room that was painted this God awful, like almost <laughs> Pepto Bismol paint. Love it. But in this room, it was like family photographs and knickknacks and memorabilia that had been handed down to them. And I really just, we spent so much time in that room growing up. And it just, I wanted to bring that pink into the space in the exhibition as this way of like providing nostalgia and home. Like I really wanted it to be like somebody's front room. You know what I'm saying? Like I wanted it to be a place, even if you walked into that motherfucker and you ain't look at none of that stuff on the wall, but you just sat there and you took a beat and you were just like, I am here. Mm-hmm. I belong here. Then I did my job. You know, I just wanted it to be this place of belonging and f- folks to see themselves. Right. I had like these pillows on the floor. I had a couch in there. I mentioned earlier that I incorporate altar making into my work. So I had created an altar in the space honoring my ancestors. And I do that as a way to not only bring them into space with me, but I want to inspire folks to think about how they can honor their ancestors too in the same way. Why is that so important to you? I mean, we can't know where we're going if we ain't know where we've been at, you know? And I think that we have to walk like we got how that's the quote says, walk like you got 3,000 of your ancestors walking with you. Because it's so, it's so easy for us to feel alone, especially as black women. And when we start to recognize the women, the folks that came before us, like it gives us a better understanding of ourselves and how we move in spaces now. You know, so one of the components that I did for the exhibition that I did a series of workshops where I was inviting community to come to make their own altars. So I offered like the materials that I use in my own work um, in the workshop and folks came and brought like, you know, photographs and memorabilia of the person that they wanted to honor. And they created these little small altar pieces for themselves. I really want to continue that because that was I want to make one now. I'll send you the stuff. Please. Yes, I will. And it was just so great to have. It's the community builder, right? Like people sharing stories about who this person was to them, why it was important for them to honor them, how it, you know, their personalities affected them. Like it was just, it, I, I want to continue to do this series even more because it's just, I did it with the young ladies that I work with at this organization here called Girl Power. Mm-hmm. It's an intervention program where they're working with young ladies from about middle school to high school age. And they're kind of providing intervention with these young ladies because they they can't go to public school. So they're like in alternative schools. I see. And they're trying to keep them from being a part of the justice system. So they invited me to be a teaching artist. So I incorporated those young ladies into the work as well and then invited them to come and see the exhibition. And just to see when those girls came to the exhibition that day, like, to see their faces light up and just to be like, oh, wow, Miss Lonnie, like, that's me. And I've never had somebody, you know, do this for me. And, oh, those earrings, I got them earrings. And my mom used to put those in my hair. Like, that, that's why I do this work. That's why I do this work. I didn't even know that this kind of place existed or this was here. So that's why I do this work. Well, that's why I do this. We love you for it. Thank you. And it's a special kind of person that can do this work, right? Like this is not for everybody. It ain't for everybody. And it Mm -mm. requires so much discipline, Mm -hmm. you know, and steadfastness and stamina, because Mm -hmm. I feel like the efforts are so often not rewarded or applauded in the way that other work that, you know, isn't necessarily as impactful is. Um, I I mean, but that's why, you know, (laughs) I was so shooketh when the arts organization here, Oolite Arts, they have an award called the Social Justice Award. Okay. And your girl got that award this past year, 2021. And it was a cool $25,000. And I was Mm -hmm. like, what? What? (laughs) 
But I love that they've even acknowledged <laughs> that that needs to be acknowledged, you know, and that they put some some coins. Yes. Okay. They put some dollars yes. with the acknowledgement. Yes. Nice. Yes. Congrats. Yes. Big up, big Thank up, big you. up, big up. Thank you. Winning money in a pandemic. God Well, here on Our Small Doses, we have a segment called The Script where we give folks, you know, additional materials uh, for them to check out that can help support the conversation that we've had. And so we've had a conversation about all types of things, whether it's about social practice or nonprofit space or even just the process of, you know, deciding where you're going to be creating your art and how. And I would love for you to share with us if you have any materials, whether it's books, documentaries, accounts, places to attend in in person, et cetera, that um, folks can check out. So definitely I mentioned Simone Lee. Mm -hmm. I mentioned Theaster Gates. Betty Zarr is like my, like, I fangirl so hard for Betty Zarr. As far as like reading, any, of course, anything, shout out to Bell Hooks, RIP, anything by Bell Hooks. June Jordan. Gives me life. Mm-hmm. When you say June Jordan gives you life, what does her work? Because I, I, I know what that means to me, but I want to know what that means to you. Well, a lot of my process is the collection of stories, right? Black feminist thought. So research is a huge part of my work and my practice. So I've always been a bibliophile. Like I love books. I am obsessed with books and I've always been an avid reader. So reading and and research is a huge part of my practice so june jordan and her words and just her way of approaching the black female experience is important to me and intrigues me is that where like is it through reading that you typically identify like the next space that you're going to create in thematically sometimes i mean i think that black feminist thought is like the overarching theme umbrella mm-hmm. in my work and just how that shifts and changes for all of us. Like, it's not a monolith. So right. I think that that is like, kind of like the cohesive thread right. that weaves through my work anyway. So me investigating and researching and reading up on that. And also like West African spiritual cosmology fuels my work. Cause I add those components to my work. Um, Black American South Hoodoo spirituality fuels my work. So research on that. <laughs> I need you to say what cosmology is because my dumb ass was like, cosmetology? No. So like the structure, the, the religious structure, right? Like the structure of the deities and the practice that is, you know what I mean? So yes. Yoruba and Yoruba being the birth mother of Santeria, Voodoo. Mm. But then it also trickling down to the Black American experience with Kudu. Like, all of these things are fueling to my work. So me researching and talking to people about mm. that is a huge part of my practice, too. Levels. So, yeah. Yeah. I love uh, it. Y'all got a lot. Y'all, y'all got a lot to look <laughs> into because I ain't never heard of Kudu. Okay. Kudu. Kudu is the American practice of voodoo? Yes. And is that, if I'm guessing, is it is it kind of New Orleans based? Yeah, okay. New Orleans. You got to think about, you know, South Carolina. So I was about to say South Carolina, yep. the Geechees. You got to think about the Geechees, yeah, Mississippi. Even parts of, of Florida, you know, we we got a Creole of it. You know what I mean? Because you got Centuria, you got, you know, voodoo. It's, it's a Right, by a nature bunch of all of the immigrants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So y'all got a lot to look into. Y'all got a lot to research. How soon do we feel we will be able to see your work? <laughs> so how quickly will the interwebs get Lottie yes, Johnson's work up? Mm-hmm. The people need to know that I, I, had, <laughs> I had mentioned to my sister, Lonnie, you know, the, the internet, I, I, I love that we can come in person to see the work, but right. we, we are in a technological age where the internets can also help expand your work to communities. You definitely can go on to locustprojects.org. Okay. Okay. The remnants is up. There are beautiful nice. images and write-ups about it. 
I also recently did a performance with a great friend of mine, Shire Vanta Black Riggins, called 333 A Procession, which is on commissioner.com. Commissioner is a arts organization that, again, is about supporting artists and teaching people about collecting art. They did a beautiful, beautiful documentation of her work and that performance that was done in December. So Commissioner is another. That's another place. Yeah. Follow Commissioner. Okay. On the gram. I think that there it's CXMR. Yeah, I think that that's their IG. CXMR. Another organization, Ulight. Follow them. I mean, the reason, like, this is what it is, y'all. The resources. The resources. And I can attest that you can go to locustprojects.org, go to exhibitions, go to past exhibitions 2021, and -hmm. you'll be able to see photos from the Remnants exhibition with that beautiful pink Wow. You see it? <laughs> yes, I see it. I see it. Mm-hmm, Which mm-hmm. also speaks to what you were talking about, you know, in regards to installers, you know, like that's yes. also a part of their work. Like, well, let's yep. make this wall pink. Or if you yep. didn't have that vision, they'd be like, okay, you want to make this piece stand out? Let's right. put it against this wall and make it green. You're like, oh, right. I didn't even think that was right. an option. They're like, yeah, right. it's an option. And the fact that I was able to get on the phone and call installer friends of mine and be like, yo, because they had an installer at Locust, but he had quit the week before I was about to start making the work. So I was like, let me get on this phone and call these installers that I know. And had I not had a good relationship with them, they would right. be like, child, I don't know what to do. <laughs> but two of my like good installer friends came through in the clutch and was just like, we got you. We got well, you. that's a testament to the work that you've been doing in the community and laying down roots that are deep with Gotta folks. do it. Be and kind, man. But Be that's why we're here. People. But that's why we're here, right? Like, yeah. you laid down a root with me a long yeah. time ago yeah. that's still there, you know, and that yep. will stay there. The last dose. I'm really glad that I was able to, you know, just let more people into you and your work and your vision Thank you. and your practice right here on Small Doses because I'm, I'm really trying to use this platform to be in social practice. <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> I can don't listen again. I cannot take credit for that. <laughs> they are starting to teach it in institutions. Like there are MFA programs that are, and I'm going to be looking into them yes. where artists can focus on social practice and what that means for them. So it is a thing, friend. Well, I mean, cause I feel like I, I took a class at Columbia that was like art as revolution. Like, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's always kind of these moments. The language. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like, this is a con- the concept of right. this versus Correct considering it as a like intentional directive right. that you are applying your life to. So I really, I'm really happy to hear that it's expanding in such a way. And I, I'm happy to see you continuing to expand in such a way. And uh, you all just keep on um, looking out for folks like Lonnie and all those places that she said to check into, check into them. When someone refers to themselves as a bibliophile, mm-hmm. That means a lover of books. Mm-hmm. You can typically trust that they are giving you very good resources because they've sifted through a lot of bullshit and found the gems. Facts. <laughs> Lonnie, I love you. Thank you for spending time with us on Small Doses. For sure. And show. I can't wait to see what's next. Let's do it. A podcast. <clears throat> a podcast network.